Sunday, June the 18th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Here we go. Week three. Or as someone consumed by the Netflix generation said to me this week, episode three in the series, What is Truth? Episode three. We refuse at home to watch a series until all the episodes have been published. Because there's nothing worse than getting to the end of an episode and realizing there's more to come and you can't access it. That is not the best way to approach this particular series. This particular series requires us week by week to dig in and make a little bit of the journey each week until we get to the place that God has for us. So I'd encourage you, if you've missed uh, week one or episode one or episode two, to find it wherever you find your podcast. It's on our website, it's on Church Suite, it's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Spotify. And if there's somewhere where you would like your podcast to be and it's not there, let us know and we'll make sure it's there too. This series feels like, to me at any rate, a big deal. When you're on a journey, you go kind of down all sorts of different roads to get ultimately to your destination. And every now and again, you turn into a road that brings you to a a new phase of the journey. So often for me, I think about when we drive to Switzerland and you drive through the uh, through the French motorways and then you turn into Switzerland, you cross the border and there's the mountains and the cowbells and the you, you've reached a new plateau, a new place in the journey. Now, my hope is that every sermon series takes us down one of the roads, but then ultimately you turn into a road and you go, oh, there is something new opening up for us. This is what God is doing with us and for us in this moment, in this season. What is truth? Discovering truth from the inside out. And as we've been thinking over these last couple of weeks, what is truth? Your heart and mine is divided. That's the truth right there. Your heart and mine is divided. David, the greatest warrior who looked and trusted God and saw the kingdom of God expanded to further, to the furthest quarters than any other time in the Old Testament. The greatest warrior and the greatest worshiper, the one who wrote uh, many of the songs that for a millennia or two or three millennia we are still using as the people of God. He was called a man after God's own heart. The greatest warrior, the greatest worshipper, a man after God's own heart, he prayed, Lord, give me an undivided heart. He knew that for all that might be true about the nobility, the worship, the faith, the beauty that was in his heart, that part of his heart was divided. And if his heart was broken, faithless, unbelieving, and against God in part, then the chances are ours is as well. And we saw that, didn't we, with Peter. We tracked on episode one of Peter, who was uh, so bold and courageous, 
and yet so timid and fearful, all in the same person, the same body. It was like there's this Peter and there's that Peter. That is a divided heart. And you know what that's like because you're full of faith for this, but actually you've got nothing for that. You know God is your father and they'll meet every need. And yet in this situation, you live like an orphan. You live like you're on your own. You live like it's all down to you. On a Sunday, you give God everything. And on a Monday, you take most of it back. And so we live with this divided heart. We long to be faithful, strong, courageous, passionate, alive for Jesus. And yet I can be fearful, weak, anxious, cold and half-hearted. All of that is the journey that we've been on over these last couple of weeks. And it's why our hearts lack the resilience that we know they should have. It's why the, the rivers of life-giving water that Jesus talks about don't flow to the depths that we want them to flow because we have a divided heart. If you recognize that what I'm talking about is true for you, would you stand? Take a look around, people. We're all in, aren't we? We're all in. This is what it's about, to be real about what's true for us. And do you know what? There's something beautiful about being in it together. I don't feel so bad now that I'm screwed up, because I'm standing with you lot, and you're screwed up as well. And there's some solidarity in that at the get-go, and there's some hope and faith for the journey. Can you imagine that in a few weeks' time or a few months' time, I say, who feels less screwed up than they did a few weeks back and we all stood up? Wouldn't that be brilliant? Can you imagine if you look around that we were all more like Jesus than we were in March or in February or in January? Can you imagine the difference it would make if the streams of life-giving water flow deeper within each one of us than they do right now? You would, you would be more pleased if I was more like Jesus, and I certainly would be more pleased if you were like Jesus. You may be seated. You're very welcome. There's something about the sensing that we can do this together. I can be honest because we're going to be honest. And the division of your heart and mine is not that part of your heart is happy and that part of your heart is sad. The division in your heart and mine is not that part of me is content and part of me is restless or part of me is hope-filled and part of me is despairing. Those are all symptoms. The division in your heart and mine is that part of my heart is built on that which is true, clues in the name, what is truth, true, and other parts of my heart are built on what is not true, which is a softer way of saying part of my heart is built on a, on a, on a lie. That's the division that lies, no pun intended, at the heart of our hearts. And that's why again and again, we wonder why the river doesn't flow so deep and we wonder why the enemy's got a foothold in our lives. You ever thought, why does the enemy seem to have a hold over me? Anyone ever felt like that? This is why. 
Because we will go, I don't do this, I don't do Ouija boards and all that stuff, because what I don't want to do is give the devil a foothold in my life, and yet I believe a lie over here and I give him an absolute open door to anything that he wants in my heart. And we need to take that as seriously as that if we are serious and committed to building our life on something that's true. And fathers, all sorts of helpful stuff that Claire was just saying about fathers a few moments ago. But fathers, honestly, if you haven't got energy for your family, this is why. This is why. No, no question about it. From experience, if you haven't got energy for your family, this is why, because your heart is divided. And it doesn't matter what else we've been called to in life, as fathers or as husbands, it's right up there. The primary calling on my life is to be a husband and a father, and now a grandfather. I'm a leader here, and I'm a leader of leaders in all sorts of other places, but that's way down here compared to this one. You with me? And if I win at this one, which is easy because I can blag it there, but I lose at this one where I can't blag it, I've lost the whole thing. Anyone know what I'm talking about? We have to win here, and that requires my heart to be healed, my heart to be true, and that's the journey that God calls us to. So, let's dig in, shall we? Because what we're trying to do today is to continue where we've been and to understand how we deal with the division in our heart with a lie lies at the root. Remember, it was a lie in the garden that caused Adam and Eve to sin. It was a lie in the wilderness that caused them to walk for 40 years around in circles, effectively. And it still lies that causes us to wander in the wilderness today. So step one. And we looked at step one, or we introduced the idea of step one, two episodes ago. What's the first thing that we have to do? Just as the credits rolled on episode one, I gave you the first thing that we would need to do if we're going to take all of this stuff seriously. What was it? It's your own time you're wasting, people. What was it? Episode one, first thing. Confession was step two. Well done, Alan. You get half a point. Half a point for that. So this was, be honest, who said that? Great, Claire, go you. We'd give you a job. (laughs) Yeah, but (laughs) she can have a full-time job if she gets the second one. Step one, we have to be honest. Can you remember me ever saying that? Great. For a minute or two, I thought you'd completely checked out of episode one and not remembered anything about it. I know that you were just a bit nervous about speaking out loud, and that's why you knew the right answer, but you didn't want to say it. Honesty. We have to be honest about what's going on in our hearts. This journey of transformation is for those with unveiled faces, those who are willing to take the mask off and be real about what's going on in their hearts. Unveiled unmasks are those people that will begin this journey of transformation from glory into glory. And it takes courage, to be honest. And that's why we don't want to do it. If I'm honest, I don't want to be honest about the things in my life that are not what they should be. Thoughts, actions, behaviors, responses, I don't want to be honest about those things. Why? 
because I don't like that part of me very much. I don't like the part of me that is not all that I would like me to be. And so I'd rather not be honest about that. It's easier for me and more comfortable for me to pretend that it's not there. So every time I look at it and I see it, it makes me feel rubbish or useless or less than I I should be. And so it's better not to look at it. And so I've done what you've done. And what you've done is what I've done. We've learned not to look. If I can park that away somewhere and not see it and not look at it, then I won't need to be disturbed by it. And nobody likes being disturbed, especially when it's to do with that which is wrong within us. And it's more complicated than that. Because I don't want to be honest about what's in my heart because I don't like it. And I certainly don't want to be honest about what's in my heart in case you discover that. You imagine how awful and exposing that would be for you to know that I'm less than perfect. That would be horrifying for you to see into the depths of my heart. So in order to make sure that you don't see it, I have to make sure that I keep that well covered up because it might slip out. And I'd hate it to slip out and you see it. And we all know the truth is that it does slip out all over the place. And you see things about me that I can't even see about myself. That's another journey. And so I I build up this, this, it's much better if I don't look at it and you don't look at it. And we keep the whole thing hidden. The only trouble is that that particular decision keeps me and us broken and hurting and separated. That's what it does. It separates us. It separates me from myself, and it separates me from you, you from me, and from each other. So are we willing to be honest? If step one is being willing to be honest, then step two is to look with fresh eyes, or to ask for fresh eyes. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You may see some things that you don't see at the moment. You may see some things that you have decided not to see. You might look and see afresh. There's this beautiful translation of this verse in the voice. Who's familiar with the voice translation? Really, look, it's on um, it's on the Bible app and stuff. It's worth having a look. A beautiful translation of this verse. Open the eyes of their hearts and let the light of your truth flood in. Isn't that beautiful? Open the eyes of their hearts. Open the eyes of my heart and let the light of your truth flood in. Eyes to see what we no longer see because we're so familiar with it and so used to it being there and we've schooled ourselves not to think about what it really is to protect ourselves and protect us from one another and so we ignore it and now no longer even see it, probably not even bothered by it. Have you all got sin in your life that you're not that bothered by? That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. We've become so used to stuff that's not quite right, that no longer affects us or bothers us. Now, overreactions are really fascinating. And you'll know this in any relationships. When people overreact, it's the biggest way of showing 
what's not at peace within their hearts. So if you overreact about something, someone's done something to you and you overreact, I can almost guarantee that you are guilty of exactly the same thing. And the more you overreact, the more guilty you are of it. Test that out. Take that home into your marriage, your family, your parenting, your workplace, and just have a look the next time there's an overreaction and ask, hmm, why is that bothering me so much? Let me tell you why it's bothering you so much, because it's triggering something in you, and you need to protect yourself from what it's triggering in you. So you put it all onto them. That's an awful thing to do. When Paul behaves like that, that's terrible. I would never behave like that, which, of course, is just a protection for keeping the focus on Paul and his sin rather than on Simon's and my sin. You feeling okay, Paul, about that? I could have chosen anyone, but I just chose you. You just seem to be sitting there primed for the conversation. The blindness can be so strong. And why is the blindness so strong? What does the God of this age do? Blind the eyes of unbelievers. And what part of your heart is this about? It's the unbelieving part of your heart. You've given the enemy a foothold and the blindness is very real. So when someone says to you, you did this, you will immediately deny it. That's how strong the blindness is. You won't even be able to access it. You'll immediately push it away because the God of this age has blinded our hearts where we've given him uh, a foothold. And so David said, remember he's the man after God's own heart. He's the great warrior and faith-filled worshipper. David said, do you know what? There's stuff in my heart that I'm so familiar with, I'm so comfortable with, I can't even see it. I have to ask God to show me. Search me, O God, and know my heart, because I don't even know it. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. You can pray that prayer and stand well back. Because what's coming next will be some truth that will be really difficult for you to see and to hear because you've become so adept at putting it in a box. You've colluded with the enemy who blinds our eyes to the things that are true. What do you see in this picture? Who sees a beautiful young woman? Hands up. Who sees an old hag? Who can't see anything? Can you see the beautiful woman? So she's looking away. The left-hand side is her eyes. Can you see the old hag? So the neck of the woman is the mouth of the old hag. What? Come on, Joel. I've not seen this before. So there are loads of these, aren't there? Who, who can now see both? Okay, soft, fresh eyes to see both. That's what we need. We need to see what we haven't immediately seen. We need to see what's been there the whole time. We need to see what's been there the whole time, but we've schooled ourselves to see something different. William Ellie Hill drew that drawing and called it my wife and my mother-in-law. <laughs> and it's really important that you can tell the difference between your wife and your mother-in-law for all kinds of reasons. What is truth? Search me. And help me see what's been there the whole time, but I've schooled myself to see something different. And then own the behavior. Own, own what you see. Now, there's two things that we need to talk about. 
When we begin to see some stuff in our hearts, in our lives that we're, that, that God's exposing to deal with, there's two things. There's behavior and there's feeling. Some of you will go after the feeling first because that's the way that you're shaped. Others of you will go after the behavior first. It doesn't matter really in the end which way around, uh, you go after it. What you need to understand is this, that behind every behavior is a feeling. So you need to find both. But it doesn't matter where you start as long as you end up, uh, uh, uh with both. So own the behavior. Do you know what? I'm really angry about that. I was judgmental in that moment. My response to that situation was really critical. I was unkind. I was thoughtless. I was selfish. I was self-absorbed, self-obsessed. I was deceitful. I was unfair. I was defensive. I was rude. I was. If you think you're none of those, the Bible says that you're a liar. So you can choose one of those or be a liar. That's what the Bible says. It's just one or other, really, wherever you choose to go. I was. I, I own it. That, that's me. In that situation, that's who I was or how I behaved. And let me tell you from personal experience, this part is awful. Awful. To realize the weight of what's wrong within you is awful. If it wasn't awful, we would do it simply and easily and we wouldn't be having this conversation. It's awful. The realization that you are not who you want to be is awful and painful and difficult. Seeing yourself for the brokenness that's within you, the sinfulness, the pridefulness, the belligerence, whatever it is, is awful. And the enemy plays right into us in this situation. The enemy does two things that are completely opposed to each other and we fall for both of them. That's the muddle that we're in. The enemy, first of all, plays it down. Surely you will not die. It's nothing. It's nothing. You're a bit rude. You're a bit unkind. You're a bit whatever. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. Just just move on. It's not a big deal. And we move on and leave some kind of, you know, destruction in our tracks. Or the enemy says, it's not a big deal. Look at that person. Look how bad their stuff is. Deflection. I don't feel so bad now because I'm looking at you lot and I'm thinking, gosh, I'm glad I'm not like you. And you look at me and you do the same thing. We deflect because the enemy plays it down. The other thing the enemy does, which is the complete opposite, the enemy plays it up. You're the only one that's as awful as that. Who can relate to either of those? One of you. What of two of you? Thank you. Three of you, maybe. Two and a half, three, four, five, six, seven of us can relate to that. The rest of you are, whoa, come on, people. The enemy will play it down by pointing you to someone else. Do you know what? When I think about them, I'm not so bad. Skibbity hop. Or the enemy plays it up. You're the only one that's like that. Do you realize how awful you are? And if everyone else knew exactly how awful you were, well, goodness knows what would happen. So we don't want to own it. Own the behavior and it's ugly. Don't run from it. Don't deny it. Don't defend it. Be present with it. 
one of the hardest lessons to learn, to be present with what's wrong within you. Everything in you is screaming right now to shut it down, to run away, to deny it, to ignore it. Everything is going totally berserk inside you. Be present with it because a glorious freedom is coming. Do I get a cheer? Because a glorious freedom is coming. Or you can pack it away and stay in the muddle. Be present with it. All its pain and ugliness. So you might see a behavior and you need to get to the feeling. Or you might be in a feeling, I feel this. And you might need to think about how that exhibits itself in the way that you behave. So fourthly, just to keep it in this order, uncover the feeling. Because behind that feeling, sorry, behind that behavior, whatever that behavior was, is a feeling. Why was I critical? Because I felt angry. Why was I selfish? Because I felt unloved. Why was I deceitful? Because I felt exposed. Why was I unfair? Because life's not fair. Why was I spiteful? Because I'm hurting. Why was I thoughtless? Because I feel rejected. Where is your heart grieved and our spirit embittered? Feeling and behavior. Uncover the feeling. And track the feeling. Where, where does that feeling come from? Track the feeling and therefore track the behavior. Feeling will usually come from a wound or a hurt. So let me give you an example. For me, behavior that's wrong. I can stay on the edge of a group. I can keep a little bit of a distance. I cannot dive straight in. It might look introverted and reserved, and in some way it might be. But it's not just that. In order to justify my distance, my kind of, I'm not going to get completely involved, I'm going to stay on the edge, I can become judgmental, feel a bit superior. That ugly behavior of feeling a bit judgmental and a bit superior keeps the distance. So instead of getting involved, I'll keep on the edge. Let's just keep this shallow, and for goodness sake, let's just get out of here as quickly as we can. And so it creates a separation, a distance. That's the behavior. The feeling behind that behavior, for me, so this is might be the same for you, but it might be different for you. The feeling behind that behavior for me is that you will not accept me. That if I really give myself into this group or into this scenario, you will not accept me. Because the feelings that I have is that I'm not enough. I feel like you'll be polite, but you don't really want me and you don't really value what I have to say. That's how I feel. And now you might go, that's ridiculous. Surely your head knows that that's ridiculous. Yes, my head knows that's ridiculous, but I'm not just ruled by my head. My heart, that broken bit of my heart feels like that. You with me? So my head's going, oh, don't be so daft, but my heart is going, hang about. That's how you feel. And I can pretend that I don't feel like that and try and manage my behavior, but in the end I'll self-combust, or I can listen into what my heart is saying. Now, where does that feeling come from? I'm tracking the feeling. Where does the feeling come from that I'm not enough, that I'm not accepted, that no one's going to really show any interest ultimately in what I have to say, that I've got no value to bring into this situation? My parents loved me 
in that sense, I felt secure. That's not everybody's story. Uh, I was, but despite that, because I was born without an eyelid and because I, my face was quite disfigured more than it is now as a child, I was consistently mocked and ridiculed and laughed at and excluded from groups at school. So every time I'm in that kind of environment, it triggers those kind of feelings. You with me? Makes sense, doesn't it? So I, I feel my, a bit of my heart that was hurt back then feels, feels what was going on back there. And I bring that into this current scenario. And so I'll keep my distance. I'll keep separate because I'm afraid of being rejected all over again. Now, I need Jesus to heal that in me. In fact, Jesus hasn't, is healing that in me. But there's more. I need to let Jesus in to heal me, but the door to Jesus, and this is really important, the door to Jesus coming in to heal me is still shut. And what's keeping the door shut is the lie. Remember, the lie is at the root, the bottom, the bottom bit, the root that's got to come out is the lie if we want Jesus to heal us. So I need Jesus to heal, but in order to do that, I need to expose the lie. We can long for Jesus to heal, But unless we deal with the lie, the door to that part of our heart still remains shut. Because behind that hurt and behind that feeling is a lie that still has controlling power. Let me explain. I felt not accepted. I felt like I wasn't enough in all of those circumstances that I talked about. That made me feel shame. I felt ashamed. I didn't just feel I'd done something wrong, which is guilt, or there is something wrong, which is brokenness. It made me feel like I am wrong. I'm not enough. That's shame, and it's a killer. And because I felt that shame, I was unable to go in my head, that's a lie, that's ridiculous, Don't be so stupid. Because I felt that shame, somewhere in my heart, I went, do you know what? That's probably true. I'm not enough. I don't fit in. I am different. I'm not accepted. And that's that double helix power we talked about last week. The lie and then my agreement with it. We expose the lie But we also need to expose the agreement that we've made. The lie has no power unless I agreed with it. But because of the way I felt, I agreed with the lie. Do you know what? I'm not enough. I'm not acceptable. I don't fit in. Look, every group I'm part of, they make fun of me and ridicule me and I'm rejected. I'm not part of it. This is my truth. And so that which was a lie became the truth for me. And it doesn't matter how much my head knows the right answer. That broken bit of my heart lived out of that experience. Make sense? That part of my heart colluded, agreed with the lie, and I felt shame. And so every time I'm in that kind of circumstance, that part of my heart goes, ooh, I know how we respond in this situation. We respond with shame and rejection and the fear of being left out, the knowledge that you haven't got anything worth saying. And so we're going to keep 
our distance. Don't get too involved in that, Simon. That will hurt. Don't get too involved there, Simon. They'll reject you. Don't get too involved. They might be polite, but they won't believe anything that you're saying because no one will give you uh, your words any credence or any value. And you might say, that's ridiculous. Look at what you do and all of that stuff. There's a whole part of my heart that's healed and operating in a healthy space. But this is the part that isn't operating or wasn't operating in a healthy space. You with me? It doesn't negate all of that stuff. It just means this bit is still real. And this bit still gets triggered or did get triggered. So there's an order now. And the order is really important. You have to deal with the lie and then allow the healing. What we want to do is not face up to the lie, but go straight to the healing. And it doesn't work. And that's why often we've got stuck in our healing journeys. We've got to deal with the lie. We deal with the lie by confessing the lie. Because it's a sin, isn't it? Every time I agree with something that's not truth, it's a sin. Because it's not God's best. It's not God's right for me. Can you see that? It's not just, I don't believe the right thing. It's a sin. It goes against God. It goes against the universe. It goes against the way God made me. It goes against everything that God says is true about me. It's a lie. It's a sin. So we need to confess the lie and the agreement that we have made. And notice what happens. If we confess our sins, the beautiful thing about it is the healing already begins. He's faithful and just. He'll forgive us, great, and will purify us or cleanse us or heal us or rescue us. All those words work. From all that's unrighteous, from all that's not right, from all that's wrong, from all that's untrue. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You know, so we go, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus, and we skippity hop. No, there's forgiveness and there's cleansing. This is deep healing in our hearts and in our spirits as we confess the lie. So I have to confess the lie. I'm literally, I have to say to God, I am sorry that I believed that I had nothing to offer when you have made me in your image as a child of yours. That must have grieved your heart and I'm sorry. And I have to renounce the agreement that I've made. I'm sorry that I agreed with it. I'm sorry that I listened to the lie rather than the truth of what you say. And in order to do that, we need to keep declaring the truth. And the easiest way to declare the truth is to find a scripture that challenges the lie. So the lie is, uh, the lie is that I'm rejected, or the lie is that I'm not enough. The lie is I'm useless, I can't do it. The lie is I, I haven't got a voice. Find a scripture that stands against the lie. Now you will say, Top tip here, you will say, I don't know the Bible well enough to find a scripture. Well, there is an answer to that. And it's not three years at theological college. And it's not learning Greek. And it's not reading the Bible from cover to cover before the end of the day. Do you know what the answer to that is? Google it. Google it. I need a Bible verse that tells me the truth about dot, dot, dot. And you'll get it. And providing it's in the Bible, then it's true. You with me? Google it. So we can all find a truth that stands against our particular lie. That's not difficult. Google it. And then I'm, I'm confessing the sin, confessing the lie. I'm renouncing the agreement. I, I don't, I'm choosing not to agree with that anymore. And I'm speaking this truth over that part of my heart. And honestly, by then, Jesus is already deep in that space. 
You don't need to coax him or encourage him into that space. He'll be there. You know, like, um, uh, uh, you know, like when you're at the beach and you've built kind of like a dam to stop the sea coming in. That's optimism, isn't it? Little kids, we're going to build a dam. We're going to stop the tide coming in. And there comes a point when the, the tide gets a little bit of a hole through the big mound that you've built. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And the, and the water just floods in through that hole. As soon as you make the hole, and you make the hole by confessing, by owning the behavior, tracking the feeling, confessing the lie, you make a little hole open in, in that part of your heart, I promise you the Spirit of Jesus will flood in because he is desperate to heal you. He is longing for his beauty to flood a deeper part of your being. And he will flood in at that point. And sometimes we can spend a lot of time trying to coax Jesus to do what he wants to do the whole time. And the reason that that's difficult is we've still got the lies that we're not prepared to deal with. So we invite the beauty of Jesus to heal. I know it seems like lots of steps. We've got to step nine, haven't we? I'm going to try and create something that's a lot simpler. And I think I had a bit of a revelation about that. We've got to reveal, renounce, resist, and restore. So a little tool coming for next week, hopefully. Um, let's see if we can get that right. So we've got a, a really kind of handy little way of, of getting our heads around this journey so it becomes second nature to us. So just in the way I'll read the Bible, soap, scripture, observation, application, prayer. I can hear what God is saying and do something about it. I can recognize something in my heart that God needs to deal with. I can give it over to him. I can confess the lie. I can let the healing power of Jesus in. Woo, I'm a better person this week because I'm more like Jesus. How cool would that be? Yeah, so that's where we're heading. That's what, that's what we're longing for. And then, of course, you've got to walk it out. Because you're used to behaving in a certain way. And the reason that you, uh, the reason that you behaved in that certain way was because of all of that junk. But when you remove all of that junk, it's still tempting to behave in that same way because that's all you know. That's kind of like your habit, isn't it? Do you know? Um, it's like the story of a friend of ours who would put the chicken on the on the stove to thaw out and put a colander over the top of the chicken. And so her children did the same. But her children didn't have a cat. So it was totally pointless, wasn't it? But they just behaved the same way. And and, and we've war- learned to walk with a limp because of all of this stuff. When all of that stuff gets dealt with, it's easy still to walk with a limp. So you've got to walk up tall. And it takes a bit of effort. Honestly, to learn something new. But the difference this time is instead of being powerless, you are powerful. Because the truth is there in your heart. The truth aligns you to Jesus. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Boom, boom. There you are. Great. I think I'm done. I think I'm done. Let's pause for a minute. What's the one thing? What's the one thing that, that kind of as you just scan back over all that stuff, the honesty, the fresh eyes, eyes to see stuff that we haven't seen maybe ever or for a long time. Thinking about the behavior and the feelings and the, where those feelings came from and how that's instructed our behavior. lie that lies behind it all and the freedom that's coming. If it feels really dark and damp right now, I want to tell you green pasture is just around the corner. Where's God getting your attention? What's God saying to you in this moment? If you're feeling condemned, 
That's not of the Spirit of God. Condemnation is about shame. Conviction is about guilt and brokenness and freedom. Let the Holy Spirit convict you for sure. But don't allow shame to crush you. Jesus, we welcome you. We welcome your presence. Come fill this place. Jesus, make it easier for us to be honest. Jesus, search me and know me. What is it today that you want to put your finger on? What is the behavior, the feeling, the lie? And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's just sit with that in Jesus' presence. Becky's going to sing for us. So we invite the rule of Jesus to come afresh into our hearts. The rule of Jesus into our broken places, our broken spaces. The rule of Jesus where there's shame and doubt and despair. The rule of Jesus where there's a lie that colludes with the enemy. And we're being invited to discover truth that unites us with the God of heaven and earth.